You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. You know that feeling you get when you've prayed for something a really long time and you finally get to see the answer to your prayer? That's how I feel right now looking at you guys, even with your masks on. Given the importance of this weekend, I know a lot of people, a lot of you have been thinking and praying and seeking the Lord's will, and I'm so encouraged by that. And the church I hail from, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., uh, has also been praying for you guys regularly. That's an exciting time. And exciting times are often praying times. But if I can be so bold, I know there's a lot going on these last few weeks with Q&As and members meetings and candidating, and that's all good and right. But I actually want to invite you to forget about all that for the next little while. After all, I'm not here to give a campaign speech, but to give you God's word. And I'm relieved we have it. Uh, Because we began this time thinking about answers to prayer. But if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, really, you know that we don't always get to see answers to our prayers. Or at least the answer we want. And if we're honest, that can be really hard. In a room this big, I bet there are dozens, if not hundreds of prayer requests represented, requests that have been, through faith, laid at God's feet, but are seemingly stuck there. And the question is, what do we do then? What do we do when it's hard to pray? When prayer feels futile, when discouragement feels close, when God feels far, when we're disheartened as we wait on God, what do we do then? Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at Luke 18 today, but we'll begin at the beginning of Luke briefly so we can get some context Luke was a medical doctor and a Christian who wrote an orderly account about Jesus' life. Uh, He wrote it for a man named Theophilus, who may have sponsored Luke to write this account for him. Uh, But Luke didn't write his account for money. I love why he says he wrote it. Let's hear it in his words. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. If you're new to the Bible, that big number 1 is the chapter, and the little numbers are the verses. Chapter 1, verse 1, and this... God's word is the best part of the sermon. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely. Pause. And notice the attention to detail. Luke the doctor is surgical with this text. It seemed good to me also, he said, having followed all things closely for some time past. 
to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Oh, beloved, I love this. It is so nice when the author tells you why he's writing. And so the gospel of John chapter 20, John says clearly, I've written this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John writes that we might believe. Luke writes that we might have confidence in what we believe. Friends, God doesn't just want us to believe, but to be confident, certain in what we believe, in what we've been taught. I've heard it said that the bridge between joy and faith is confidence. And if that bridge has fallen for you, if you've lacked that joy, I can relate. Uh, Recently, I went through a spell of doubt. This was new for me. I was embarrassed. I was like, man, I'm a a pastor, but I'm questioning God's word. I told my wife. I called Cam. I was like, Cam, you you got to pray for me, dog, because Satan is trying to sift your boy. But I love how God, through Scripture, handles those of us who doubt. You know, what should we do with doubters? Shame them? Quiz them? That might be our impulse. But God's word in Jude says, be merciful to them. Friends, as God's word goes out right now, it is his mercy washing over our doubts this evening. So if you're here and you're lacking certainty, come. Have your fill. If you're here and you've ever wrestled with doubt, come. Let's bring our doubts to Scripture together. If you're here and you're not a Christian, it is great to have you. You may have some serious doubts about Christianity. And as you study this religion, you can read a lot of books about Christianity, but do you read its primary sources? Its primary book. Why? Why not? That's the best way to learn about it. Thinking about learning, brothers and sisters, notice the implication of Luke's first words. Just because we've been taught doesn't mean we don't ever need shoring up. So don't ever be embarrassed to be a student of the Bible. One who doesn't know everything or remember everything you once knew. A Theophilus needed certainty. So do we. And God is faithful to give it. God was faithful uh, to bring me through my season of doubt. So to be clear, I firmly believe what Iron City says in its statement of faith that the Bible is the inspired and errant and fallible and authoritative word of God. Yet even the firmest of us who believe this waver. We get discouraged. But we, at times, wonder if God will really come through on what he said. But praise be to God that Jesus, in his mercy, 
speaks to us. Turn to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18. Everything I said up to this point, that was all for free. Uh, Let's turn to our sermon passage now. Luke chapter 18. Luke has been writing about Jesus' developing ministry. Uh, He's told us about how as a boy, uh, Jesus was in the temple as a student of God's word. Uh, Jesus was growing in favor with God and with man. And Luke fast forwards to Jesus as a man in his earthly ministry. Uh, During that ministry, Jesus had been teaching on the coming kingdom of God and how he would return soon to establish it. But before he would do that great work, he, the Son of Man, chapter 17, verse 25 says, would have to suffer many things. And we need to appreciate how confusing this must have been for Jesus' disciples to hear, to hear about this suffering. They were expecting the Messiah to come and take over. They didn't quite get it at this point, uh, but Jesus knew what was coming for him. He was headed toward Jerusalem, toward betrayal, toward the crucifixion, toward injustice. And even though he is the one who would have to suffer many things, even though he is the one who would eventually be killed, Jesus encourages his disciples and prepares them to wait on his return. And Jesus, the merciful, prepares them with a story. Look at Luke 18, verse 1 with me. Follow along as I read. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Here's the main point of this parable in two words. Keep praying. Did you notice that in verse 1? Right up front, Jesus tells us why he's telling us this story. It's so that we keep praying. That's the big idea this evening. If you want the main idea behind this sermon in a tweet, here it is. Keep praying. Kids, if your parents ask you later, hey, what was the main point behind the sermon? This is what you should say, that Christians should keep praying. Beloved, notice from verse 1, Jesus wants us to pray without ceasing and to be encouraged as we wait on him to return. And and he wouldn't have said that if he didn't know that we'd struggle to pray and that we'd be discouraged as we wait on him to return. Brothers, sisters, kids, if prayer is hard and discouraging for you, don't panic. All that means 
is you're a normal Christian. And your God is so good that he has already taken your weakness into account. He's factored it into his plan. Beloved, discouragement is one of Satan's favorite arrows for the Christian. And so Jesus gives us a parable, a short story with a spiritual point to help us persevere in prayer. So if you're taking notes, uh, here's the question to write down. It's the question this passage puts before us. When you want to quit praying, what should you do? When you want to quit praying, what should you do? Our text has two simple answers for us this evening, and here is the first. Keep praying. Because God is good. When you want to quit praying, what should you do? Answer number one, keep praying. Because God is good. At this point, we'll cover verses two through seven. When you want to quit praying, what should you do? Keep praying because God is good. And the judge was not. You remember this judge we met in verse two. Look at it with me. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. In other words, this dude was, how can I put this, a jerk. In his mind, he was the highest authority, all that mattered. Unlike Jesus, who Luke told us grew in favor with God and with man, this judge regarded neither God nor man. Brothers and sisters, fearing God is a good thing. Uh, To fear the Lord is to honor the Lord with your life because you know he is the judge of your life. To fear the Lord is to honor the Lord with your life because you know he is the judge of your life. Fearing the Lord is a good thing. Uh, Respecting man is a good thing. Uh, The two greatest commandments are to love God and to love those made in his image which includes all people, regardless of color or creed. The image of God crowns every person, even a lowly widow. That's who we meet in our next verse, verse 3. She's new to us, but familiar to the evil judge, this widow who keeps asking for justice. Beloved, Jesus uses this widow and her plea as a model for how we should pray. I love uh, listening to the prayers of sisters, especially those who've been walking with Jesus a long time. Uh, Did you notice the simplicity this widow prayed with? Uh, Look again at her plea to the judge in verse 3. Give me justice against my adversary. Uh, Just a six-word prayer. Surely I am not the only Christian in this room who is relieved that our prayers don't have to be long in order to be heard. Brothers and sisters, God delights in what a friend of mine calls breath prayers. Prayers you can say in a breath. Lord, help me. Parents with little kids, we often pray that one, don't we? Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, teach me which way to go. Breath prayers. Simple prayers. But friends, not 
notice not only the simplicity of the widow's plea, but also the relentlessness of it. Did you notice that description in verse 3? Look at it with me. There was a widow in that city who, watch this, kept coming. Uh, Oh, if the angels in heaven could see the traffic of your prayers, would they describe you as someone who keeps coming to God in prayer? Would they say, oh, that's Lindsay Kate, she keeps coming. Oh, that's Jenna Dietrich, she keeps coming. Oh, that's Haddon Pugh, my man keeps coming. Would they, to borrow from verse 5, where the judge relents, he says, I'll give the widow justice so she won't beat me down by her continual coming. Beloved, would the audience of heaven say you are someone who beats down heaven's doors with your prayers? Or would they describe you as someone who grabs the legs of the throne of grace and says, I will not let go until you bless me? Oh, friends, if you're looking for encouragement to keep praying, let me encourage you to be like the elders of Iron City Church on Marco Polo. Okay, if you don't know, I didn't either. Marco Polo is how these brothers communicate. Like, official elder communication is happening on Marco Polo. Marco Polo and Enneagram numbers. This is the way of Iron City Church. I have learned. So when doing interviews and such, you know, most jobs you go, you have a first round. Uh, Lord willing, you might have a second round, and that's kind of it. But these brothers love you so much that they kept coming to me on Marco Polo with questions and follow-ups and more follow-ups. And I'm thankful they did. But what I want you to see is that in this kind of persistence, this is what should mark us in prayer, a relentlessness that keeps coming. And friends, I want to encourage you that I am so thankful that y'all are taking the next two weeks as we think about this possible transition to keep coming to God as a church in prayer. And a lot of people ask me, are they, are they voting on you after you preach? I was like, no, they want to pray. I praise God for that, Iron City. Keep coming to him in prayer as a church. We need to keep going in our passage. Uh, verse 4 tells us that though the widow prayed for a while, the judge refused her. Uh, maybe he was waiting on her to give him a bribe. Uh, but of course, the widow couldn't pay it. Uh, in that day and age, widows had no help. This is why Paul would write telling Christians to take care of them. This is why James would write telling uh, telling Christians to visit them. Widows in Scripture commonly represent the marginalized and the most vulnerable. And I want to say, if you're here and you're a widow, I am sorry for your loss. I know Iron City has few old people in it and lots of young people who are newly married or who want to be married, and this is wonderful. And yet I hope this widow reminds those of us who are younger that unless our story ends like the notebook, which few do, we will not only say I do toward our spouse. We will one day say goodbye to them Friends, this widow reminds us that even the longest marriage is brief. And when it ends, it'll be really hard. 
you know, Meg, we don't, we don't really know these dear brothers and sisters. Uh, so when we leave tomorrow, it'll be kind of hard. But when we say goodbye to each other, finally, that will be the hardest thing. I love you. Friends, this widow reminds us that grief, goodbyes, injustice are real parts of living in a fallen world. But she also reminds us that even though that person who's closest to us may die, God will be there for us. And in our brokenness, we can keep coming to him. That's what we're to learn from this relentless widow. You see, the point of this parable is not the widow primarily, but the God whom she and the wicked judge teach us about. Brothers and sisters, in this parable, Jesus is he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if this wicked, no God-fearing nor man-respecting judge, earthly judge, will eventually grant justice, how much more will a good heavenly father? Friends, God's goodness is so important for us to think about as Christians, because even though we know if we ask for bread, he won't give us a stone, and even though we know if we ask for fish, he won't give us a snake, even though we know this, for some of us, we really struggle to believe that God is good. And the longer we wait on him, the more we question his goodness. The more we really do see him as a frowning judge, we have to persuade rather than a smiling father who is already pleased with us. Here's just a test case for you to evaluate how you view God. Imagine you're praying. uh, You're trying to put this sermon into practice. And you fell asleep in the middle of your prayer. When you wake up, how would you feel? Would you feel guilty? Like, oh man, God probably didn't hear that prayer. I probably need a redo. He's kind of disappointed in me. I fell asleep on him. Would you see it that way? Or would you see yourself like a parent sees their child when they fall asleep in their lap? Let me tell you, as a dad with three small kids, I've never, been a, I've never been mad when they fall asleep on me. Christian, are you here this evening thinking God is mad at you? That he saved you, but he still has a heavy hand he's waiting to drop on you. Friends, if that's you, let me give you certainty about something you've been taught. Unlike us, the Lord is good all the time. Goodness is not just a feeling God has every now and then. It's who he is, who he always is. Melissa, I don't know where you are. We were talking about impassibility at the Q&A. This is what we're talking about. So goodness is not a part of God that has a beginning and an end. It is his character that has no beginning or end. Beloved, the Lord is good. And the Lord doesn't change. Do you know what this means? 
It means you don't have to worry, wake, you don't have to wake up worrying about which version of God you're going to get. Like, did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed today? Is he mad at me? Did I do a good enough job for him yesterday? No. Friends, the Lord doesn't sleep or change. He is good. The shocking aspect of our text is not that God sees little old you, but that he sees you and he cares. The Lord is good. He hears our cries. Are you offering them, as our text says in verse 7, day and night? And mentioning day and night, both ends of the spectrum, is a way to say day, night, and everything in between, all the time. Friends, God's office hours are 24-7. And he is good in all of them. Do you believe that this evening? If not, receive some certainty from the promise of God. He repeats one uh, twice in our passage. You see the promise in verses 7 and 8. God will give justice to his elect. When Jesus says justice, I think he means that one day every wrong will be made right. I think he means that one day every wrong will be made right. Whether you see injustice corrected before Jesus comes back or when he comes back, you will see it corrected. Because Jesus is coming to rescue his people, his chosen people, his elect from suffering and injustice in this world. Which means, my brother, uh, my sister, if you're here suffering this evening, know that your suffering has an expiration date on it. You will outlast all your problems. And you will one day see the answer to your prayer to be rescued from this wicked and unjust age because Jesus is coming back to make all things right. Which leads us to our second point. When you want to quit praying, what should you do? Answer number two. Keep praying because God is coming back. When you want to quit praying, what should you do? Answer number two, keep praying because God is coming back. This point will cover verse eight. When you want to quit praying, what should you do? Answer number two, keep praying because God is coming back. And he's coming back soon. In our passage, we've seen a recurring, or a recurring request a, relentless judge, a relenting judge, and now we see a returning Lord, one who is coming back soon. Look again at verse 8. After talking about his goodness, Jesus says, I tell you, God will give justice to the elect speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When I say God is coming back, it, it may sound confusing. You know, I thought God was everywhere. Well, that's true, but Jesus is also God. And he's returning physically, imminently. In other words, he's coming back soon. Again, to quote Iron City's statement of faith, we believe that Christ will return to establish fully his authority over all things. We believe that Christ will judge all of humanity and condemn 
all evil. Uh, Friends, we believe Christ will return in judgment because that's what Jesus said. Uh, Verse 8, when the Son of Man comes. Uh, This term, Son of Man, echoes Daniel chapter 7, which speaks of this mighty one coming with all authority. Brothers and sisters, do you live in light of this return? Do you share the gospel with the lost as if Jesus is really coming back to judge the world? Or when it comes to your evangelists, are you a Christian in name but a universalist in practice? Kind of acting like Jesus is just going to save everybody. Beloved, do you share the gospel with the lost as if Jesus is really coming back to judge the world? I love what the Bidion Yibuile said. He said, there is a real hell and a real lostness that puts real people in real danger before the only real God, the Son of Man. And he is coming speedily to rescue his people. Which is a real challenge to us. To think about God coming quickly, isn't it? Did you see that word speedily in verse 8? My friend, does God feel slow to you? Maybe you have a chronic illness or a besetting sin. Maybe you're suffering an actual injustice and you are waiting on God for deliverance. I know a lot of you are medical workers and you're seeing the effects of COVID and weeping, wondering when will God come and provide some real relief? You're wondering when will God come and if you're honest, it feels glacially slow. If that's you, I get it. It's hard to wait on God. And it's hard to pray as we wait. And this is why this widow is such a challenge to us. She's waiting on something here, justice against an adversary, but what is she doing as she's waiting? She's praying. And now the Bible says a whole lot about responding to injustice, so it is not the only response. So if you're here suffering injustice on some level, Talk to an elder. Get counsel. Prayer is not our only response to injustice, but it does seem to be the only response we often forget. I mean, it's hard to pray as we wait, isn't it? I remember uh, Ben Crocker telling me what it's been like is uh, he and Sarah have been adopting their boys and all the waiting that took place and Ben said something so simple. He said, when I'm in a holding pattern, it's hard to pray. Brother, sister, don't you know that to be true? Waiting and praying feel like two magnets on the same side that never want to connect especially when God feels slow. But remember what, remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, to not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Friends, Jesus said he's coming back soon, but we have to take care that we don't have him on our clock. A lot of us, if we're honest, we often have stopwatch faith. We pray and we're like, okay, God, prayed two seconds ago. Where's my answer? You said you're good. You said you're always good. It's been 10 seconds. Doesn't feel like you're good. 15 seconds, are you still good? But beloved, what if the problem wasn't God, but our expectations and demands of him? Friends, could it be that we have grown far too comfortable in the age of the instant? Instant messaging, Instapot, Instagram. And some of us, if we're, if we're honest, we want Instagod. We kick and scream if he doesn't give us our way now. But beloved, we would do well to learn from Christians who have gone before us. If the Son of Man were looking for faith on earth, I think he would have found it in some of these southern cotton fields during the days of chattel slavery, during the days of grave injustice, commenting on the relentless prayers of enslaved black Christians. Francis Grimke, a pastor from Washington, D.C., he said this. He said, when they were hoeing in the cotton field, when the crack of the overseer's whip was sounding in their ears, when their backs were smarting under the lash of the hard taskmaster, when they stood upon the auction block, when the families were broken up, the father going in one direction, the mother in another, and the children in still another, there went up from their bleeding hearts the cry to heaven, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Every day, Every night, almost every hour in every day, the cry of their bleeding hearts was poured into the ear of heaven. And I believe as mighty as the other influences were, there was none more potential than this. Prayer was their only weapon at that time. And how mightily did they wield it. Friends, there's a phrase in the black church and it goes something like this. God may not come when you want him to, but he's always on time. And we will not believe this if we are living in too much of a hurry. And coming from busy and bustling D.C., I've been convicted of this in my own life. This is why I like how y'all do it in the South, slower. But I was convicted when I saw this quote by uh, Diane Laneberg. She did a lot of work with the Caring Well Challenge. Uh, maybe you'll be convicted by this too. She said, we're in too much of a hurry to value Moses' 40 years in the desert, Abraham's decades of waiting for a child, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, and Paul's years of solitude in the desert and then in Tarsus. None of these leaders started without an extended time of aloneness with God, end quote. Brothers and sisters, Scripture is a summary of history, it gives us highlights, flashpoints, but in, the, in between those highlights was a lot of life, a, a lot of time, a lot of suffering. 
Israel was in Egypt for 400 years before they knew the justice of the Exodus. But what does God say in Exodus 3? I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their, watch this, their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. And if you're here and you're waiting on God to rescue you, I got good news for you. Coming down to deliver is God's specialty. You see, because he didn't just come to Egypt. He came to Bethlehem. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to introduce you to another widow who was waiting for justice but didn't stop praying. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from the time she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, uh, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So the context here, Jesus has been born, uh, he's presented at the temple, and Luke, watching all things closely, records this in Luke 2. Brothers and sisters, Anna was waiting for the redemption and she gave thanks because Jesus finally came to bring it about. And we, 2,000 years later, know how he brought it about. The Son of Man would have to suffer many things and suffer chiefly at the cross. Remember, beloved, our, our passage isn't ultimately about a widow, a bride whose groom died, No, our passage is ultimately about a groom, Jesus, who would die for his bride, the church, his elect. Earlier we talked about fearing that God is heavy-handed. But friends, the good news of the gospel is not that God would lay down his heavy hand upon you, but that he would spread his hands and let them be nailed to the wood for you. That tree, that cross, you and I should have been nailed to for our sins, for our rebellion against God. Jesus took our place there. Friends, our passage, Luke 18, 1 to 8, it's a command. It's an exhortation, but it's one for Christians. Being persistent in prayer is something we do and can only do because we've already been made right with God. So kids, don't hear me saying, this is how you get right with God. Just pray a lot. At the Q&A yesterday, I shared that some of my testimony, thought I was a Christian when I became a kid. I was like five. I asked my other friend, who was also five, hey, how do I become a Christian? He said, you have to pray. And I said, okay, for how long? He said, for five minutes. 
And I remember thinking, that's a long time. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Friends, that's not the message of Luke 18. We can't pray enough to earn God's favor because in our natural state, in our sin, we were not like the widow. We were like the judge. In our sin, beloved, we, we neither feared God nor respected man. In our natural state, in our sin, we were like the disciples in Jesus' final hour. He's praying in the garden. He asked them to stay up with him an hour and pray, and they fall asleep. And this is the one time in history I think God did not look down and like be like, oh, my kids are asleep. No, friends, our hope is that Jesus obeyed where we failed. I mean, just read Luke's gospel and you will be shocked at how much Jesus himself persists in prayer. Luke 4.42, when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place to pray. Luke 5.16, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6.12, in these days, Jesus went out onto the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Luke 9.18, now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Luke 9.28, now about Eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This pattern of prayer is just what Luke recorded leading up to chapter 18. But we know how the story continues. Jesus experiences the gravest injustice in the universe. He died on the cross at the hand of sinners. No one took him his life, but he willingly laid it down. But Jesus didn't stay down. He didn't stay dead. No, Jesus got up three days later and ascended to heaven, where he now intercedes for his people And he now offers forgiveness of sins to all those who would turn from their sins and trust in him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, do that this evening. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to turn from your sins and trust in Christ. But for the Christians here, the good news of the gospel does not even stop with forgiveness in Jesus' first coming. Now, our hope is that Jesus is coming back to get us and take us where we will live with him forever. Our hope is that he's going to do that soon. Hear from your statement of faith one last time. We believe that Christ will judge all of humanity and condemn all evil and that he will call those who have believed in him to, to life in his everlasting kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we pray. Lord, we pray that we would keep praying to you because you are good. 
and your son is coming back. Father, hasten the day. End injustice once and for all. Strengthen these dear brothers and sisters, we pray. In Jesus, our Savior's name.